welcome to the Pelvic Health Podcast. I'm your host, Lori Forner, a physiotherapist working in pelvic health, as well as a new student researcher on the fun, long road to a PhD, where we will be looking at pelvic floor problems and exercise. I'm here to bring you information from leading professionals on all aspects surrounding pelvic health for any gender and any age, from the vast range of pelvic floor problems to exercise and sport. Remember our disclaimer, materials and content in this podcast are intended as general information only and should not be substituted for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hi everyone, I'm Eliana. Welcome to the Pelvic Health Podcast. I know I'm not your post. Mom asked me to do it because she said it's okay. Bye. Hey everyone, I've got a little helper today. Um, anyway, we have an, an amazing guest today. I'm really excited. So we've got Haley Shevener. Haley, I hope I said your name right again. Um, she is a fitness professional from San Francisco, California. She's going to talk to us today about her story of being diagnosed with pelvic organ prolapse and what she kind of went through with mentality and how that what people said to her affected her, but really how she came out the other side, particularly with respect to fitness. So I'm really excited to share this one with you today. Haley is currently the head um, of methodology and a pre-postnatal exercise specialist at a local training studio called the Lotus Method, focusing specifically on training during the perinatal period. She works with both clients and the training staff to improve education, awareness, movement, and support for women who are going through the transformative process of motherhood and the trainers who work with them. Haley began training in 2005, but it wasn't until she became pregnant with her now three-year-old son that she fully realized the lack of quality information and guidance for women during this chapter. Her professional and personal interests are especially focused on women navigating their athleticism while managing pelvic organ prolapse. Just before we dive into the show, here is a message from Marika Har from Harrisphere, who is our sponsor for this episode today. Hey, this is Marika Hart, musculoskeletal physiotherapist and proud owner of Harrisphere, a business dedicated to supporting women through pregnancy and beyond. I started Harrisphere as a way to help some of my pregnant clients who lived in country areas and struggled to get access to high quality education and exercise. Of course, what seemed like a simple idea at the time grew into something larger than life and today we have several programs on offer to clients, plus a ton of free information available for everyone. Our signature program, Our Pregnancy Club, is different to most programs in that the content videos change every four weeks. So this means that women who are 12 weeks versus 35 weeks pregnant will receive totally different exercise and education videos. We've made this program as simple to use as possible with everything accessible online and even some mp3s to download so that women can listen on the move because I know a lot of women are like me and love to listen to podcasts like Laurie's. To learn more about our online programs or to simply immerse yourself in the free information on our site head to herasphere.net that's h-e-r-a-s-p-h-e-r-e dot net and now back to the show. So again, Haley, thank you so much for coming. I'm so excited to yeah. have you. So if you can um, give us all, if you can give us a little bit of, um, well, so generally what we want, what I wanted to talk about today was you have, still have pelvic organ prolapse. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. So I wanted you to 
tell us your story. So kind of how this all started and what you've gone through to kind of get to where you are today. So you can start from the very beginning or wherever you would like. <laughs> sure. Um, I think it's helpful to know that I've been a trainer, a personal trainer since 2005. And uh, I had worked with several different people. I'd worked with uh, pregnant women. I'd worked with a lot of postpartum women. Uh, but it wasn't until I became pregnant with my son, who is now three, uh, that I realized the lack of information for women who are managing their athleticism during pregnancy and the postpartum chapter. And I did some preliminary research, found very little information, found info for women that were maybe more on the like yoga trajectory, or I found a lot of like, you can go walking or light weights. And I was someone that was, I had just gotten certified in Olympic weightlifting, I was doing high level activities, and I didn't want to eliminate them. Uh, I felt really good while I was training, but I didn't really know what to be aware of. I didn't know what to look out for. Uh, and I didn't really feel like I had a plan. And it was super frustrating. So I continued to do research and tried to find anything that I could. And at the time, there was very little quality information that seemed like it was evidence guided. Um, and so I just kind of did what I'd always done, which is what my midwives told me to do. Um, it's what colleagues had told me to do. And I continued to do that. And I felt pretty good up until the end of my pregnancy. Um, I trained the morning I went into labor, um, had a really long, very long <laughs> labor, um, was 60 plus hours. Uh, and that kind of set the stage for me to realize that going into this next chapter was going to look different than I would anticipate it having looked before. Um, and so I, I, you know, I went into labor having been told that I was just going to squat this baby out and I was so fit and everything was just going to be great. And I would be right back at week two postpartum back in the gym, which is, uh, is really well-meaning and positive. But then when totally. it doesn't happen that way, exactly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And it did not happen that way. Oh. <laughs> um, and my labor and delivery was very like on paper textbook, normal, nothing inherently traumatic. I had a barely grade two tear, um, but it was really shocking to me. And I had not anticipated, you know, I, I had kind of pictured myself as this like goddess in the forest surrounded by deer. That's how I was <laughs> going to be giving birth. And it didn't look that way. <laughs> and so postpartum healing, um, initially seemed very normal. Everything felt fine. Uh, I, a couple weeks, maybe a month or two into the postpartum chapter, started having some tailbone pain and decided to go see a pelvic floor physical therapist. And I saw her uh, at a couple months postpartum and everything was pretty routine. Uh, she didn't mention anything really about my pelvic floor. She kind of mentioned that it seemed pretty average. Um, did like kind of offhand say that there was some bladder descent and that stuck with me, but I didn't necessarily at three or four or however many months postpartum I was at that point, not sleeping, not able to like really meet my basic needs. I wasn't really diving deeper into that. I kind of just felt like, okay, well, I'm really here to solve this tailbone pain. Um, and I 
we dealt with that. The tailbone pain ended up resolving. I ended up training, uh, or I went back to training with full force pretty much. Um, so how new- far, how far were you after having a baby? Like a couple months. And, uh, I knew at that point I'd had pre and postnatal certifications that were not great, but enough information to know that I wouldn't have necessarily trained a client at that point, the way that I was training. Um, but so much of my identity was wrapped into my strength, my physical strength and my physical ability, um, to move and motherhood was really challenging is really challenging. And I didn't really have a lot of emotional support. I didn't really understand how much emotional support I needed. Um, and so I dealt with a lot of these feelings through movement, which is a way that I had always coped and it had always been really successful for me. And I started to feel just like I wasn't really making a lot of progress and or I didn't feel as strong or as stable or as capable as I felt like I I wanted to be. But I kept going. I started training for a kettlebell certification. I did all of these things and I felt generally okay. Uh, Fast forward about eight months later, I was down in Los Angeles for a uh, certification And I was with my son and my husband and I was, my son was not sleeping. And so I would put him on, like I was wearing him in a baby carrier and I would just start walking the stairs in the hotel. And I probably did about an hour of stair walking at like three in the morning. And I remember feeling after that, this very distinct heaviness and pressure in my pelvis that I hadn't really felt prior to that. And it continued to go on for the rest of the weekend. I started to feel really uncomfortable. And I had already had an awareness of pelvic organ prolapse at this point. I was working with women that had POP. Um, But I didn't understand it viscerally yet. And I made another appointment with the PT that I'd seen previously and said that I wanted to check in because I'd felt dramatically different over the weekend. And I went in to see her and I remember one of the first things she said was like, oh yeah, this is worse. And I knew at that point um, that what I was feeling and what I could identify was confirmed and that I had had, uh, at least at that point from those two measurements, there had been a progression of grade um, to some extent. And We talked a little bit about what that meant, and a lot of the information that I got was really vague and also very kind of definite in the sense that, like, it would get worse, uh, I should really scale back on everything, but not necessarily given a lot of specifics, Hmm. even though I think... I think that she approached it that way because she knew that I was a trainer. She knew that I was working with this population. She knew that I had a certain level of education about this topic. But it's so different when it's you. And it's so different when it's, you know, me giving my, I mean, obviously, I had not given myself great advice and guidance up until this point. And I really just wanted someone at that point to take care of me, I think. But I kind of felt like the care I was getting was really negative and terrifying And it didn't actually answer the questions I had. And so I went home and I Googled things, which (laughs) is not a good 
idea. No. Stay off Google. Even PubMed. Think- <laughs> even PubMed totally. is scary, but at least it's a bit better. Totally. Yes. If you ever think that you have any condition, really, don't Google it. No, but it's so hard not to. <laughs> So hard not to. And so I Googled it and I tend to be obsessive in general about everything. And I must have spent the next three weeks straight just constantly consuming information that confirmed my suspicion that I had now the worst case scenario, the like worst outcome you could possibly have. This was the end to my athleticism. It was the end of my life. It was going to be the end of my sex life. Um, And it just... And it was only going to get worse. And this was happening around a time where there was a lot of stuff going on with my relationship with my husband. I was having stress at work. It just wasn't a good time. And then there was this. And this consumed me um, to the point where I couldn't I couldn't focus. I couldn't live. I couldn't deal with my clients. I couldn't get through the day. I didn't want to look at my son. Uh, I just felt as if everything had been taken away from me and I didn't know what to do with myself because so much of my identity, I make my living off of my physical ability or at least my ability to instruct others. And I, you know, I had identified and put so much into that and then I felt like it was all gone. And so that was the low point. I ended up, uh, very, it was really great circumstance. Anthony Lowe um, was teaching a course in San Francisco about a month after that really low point. And he, I attended that. And I also contacted him because he had put out that he was going to have assessments for uh, people that wanted to have one. And so I booked one of those and we did the Bulletproof Your Pelvic Floor course over the weekend. And then I went to see him on Monday And he was there with a PT that had also been at the course, and she was a pelvic floor PT. And I had already been really familiar with his work, but I hadn't ever met him before, and I definitely hadn't had an assessment with him. And it was such a such a different experience than what I'd had previously um, with any PT, let alone at um, anything pelvic health related. And that appointment was like two and a half hours, and we didn't do a whole lot in terms of, you know, he wasn't, we weren't doing any kind of significant modifications to my programming. He really just empowered me to continue to move or to start moving again. Because by this point, I had completely stopped exercising. I would walk to work and that was it. And that was going down from like five days a week of some type of training. And so I had completely eliminated everything. I was terrified to move. So for how, how long were you, did you feel like you were in that low point or the, where you kind of stopped and pulled everything back? A couple back? months. A couple months. Yeah. And yeah. Did, did you, did you know, like symptom wise, did it change? Like, did you constantly have that sensation and awareness of it because you were thinking about it all the time or? Yeah. I mean, I would, I would later learn just how deeply my psychological state would affect my physical experience. And Um, yeah, I mean, I think that as soon as I got confirmation that things had worsened, my symptoms got significantly worse, like within the minute, I just suddenly every little thing, I became hyper aware, and it confirmed that everything was falling apart. Yeah. And 
I, you know, would constantly, I mean, there was not an hour that I did not think about my pelvic floor. I would go after every session and like, check my pelvic floor and see what it was doing this hour. And then what's it doing this hour? Uh, And it just became the only thing that I really thought about. And so that's where I was when I met Anthony. And um, but I remember about 30 minutes as I was driving home. um, I remember thinking, it's interesting, I don't feel that sensation right now. And I don't feel that sense of being overcome by negativity and dread. And I, he basically told me to go back to the gym. (laughs) And so I did that the next day and I didn't have symptoms. And it was such an interesting experience to me. And he gave me some stuff to read about in terms of like pain science education. And, and I started to dive a little bit deeper into that and just really started to question and explore my feelings around my symptoms and my body. And I just started to get better in terms of symptoms. And it was really intriguing. And I kept going with that. And I felt so excited by it. And I kept feeling better. And I ended up in this place where I stopped noticing things um, I was still aware of my pelvic floor and, and of my body in general. I've been, I was a dancer before I was a trainer. I've, I've had an awareness of my body for a long time. It wasn't as if I just like threw caution to the wind and started sprinting and like lifting as heavy as I possibly could. But I did go back to things that had previously terrified me um, in small doses and progressively. And, and it started to feel really good. And I started to find more and more people uh, that had had similar experiences. Up until this point, the only people I'd ever heard from or had seen in support groups or things online were people that were talking about how miserable they were and how their whole life was ruined. And I started to connect with people that had had a positive experience or were managing in a way that they that made them understand that this was going to be something that they were going to be monitoring, but it wasn't going to be the sole focus of their life. And I became to feel, I began to feel like that was possible for me as well. And I just stopped thinking about it so much. I stopped checking. I stopped obsessing over research articles. I stopped reading guidelines online that were basically saying that I should be sitting at all times and never lift my child. And I also, I also at this time weaned my son just because that felt like a natural progression of things. And I think that probably helped in some way. Um, but that started this, this second half, um, that I'm, that I'm still in now. And that was, geez, I don't know when that was. That was like two ish years ago. And it was funny when I saw Anthony at the women's health and fitness summit, we, that was the next time we'd met. He, um, you know, I went up and gave him a hug and said hi and was excited to see him. I was excited to be in Australia. And he was like, oh, you're actually like a, a nice person. <laughs> you're, you're like so friendly and so, so happy and full of life. And, you know, I, I was so miserable when I met him. And he was right. I just had no, I had no real desire to continue doing what I was doing because I felt like it was just all over anyway. And, um, and so it was a really interesting process of being able to piece my parts of my life back together again. So, so do you feel like 
what was said to you or even how it was said to you contributed to how you ended up feeling and going kind of down that slope? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the recommendations that were given to me were not realistic for what I had to do to live my life. And for instance, I was informed um, to like be really careful when you're walking downhill. And I don't know if you know anything about San Francisco, but it's almost exclusively hills. And so my walk to work is downhill. And there were, you know, if I were ever to be pregnant again, my symptoms would definitely get worse and my prolapse would probably worsen as well. And things like that, or, or just online, there's, there was so much information about, you know, how heavy lifting of any kind over, you know, 10 pounds was what they were defining as heavy, um, was destined to ruin everything. And it was just, it's all so negative and it doesn't take the person into consideration. And I felt like everything I was reading was just the removal of my autonomy And I was giving up what I knew about myself and what I knew about training and what I knew about the pelvic floor. And I was just giving it to other people to tell me that everything was going to fall apart. And I was simultaneously just trying to keep my organs in my body. There was so much burden of like having to make it all stay in and all stay together. And it was so it was impossible for me to do that without hope or any kind of support Um, and yeah, I mean, everything, I, I still read things that are really negative and, and really, um, just not focused on who the person is beyond their pelvic floor. Yeah. So you've now in light of the negative, well, negative experience, but the negative things that you heard and the support groups that didn't help you, you have now created one. I have. Yeah. I, uh, I run a group called Pop Fitness on Facebook, and I wanted a place where women could navigate their athleticism without judgment um, while also managing prolapse and who could where they could get information that was guided by evidence and supported by professionals and um, and where they could talk about all of the things that affected them, whether that was exercise related, maybe they were having symptoms on a certain movement or just the process of managing that their athleticism would look a little bit different. Um, I didn't have a space like that. And so I wanted one for myself. And I remember asking a friend um, who I, who was my first member, if we thought that people would join and I was like, Oh, maybe we'll get like 10 and we've got over a thousand now, which is oh, really yay. lovely. So yeah. How it's really you, awesome. How do you regulate the conversations to not go down? Like you want people to talk about, you know, you want to have that space. Yeah. If somebody is feeling totally. like crap that they can talk about it, but then you don't yeah. want it to spiral down into that. Totally. That negativity. I like to ask questions. And I think that that was really pivotal for me was to be able to ask myself questions and direct the conversation in a way that reminded the woman or myself that ultimately she was in charge. And I don't like the information or I don't want information to be displayed as like, don't do this or you can't do that. Um, I think that it's much better to be able to give someone, hey, here's the information, here's the education. This is why it may be something that you need to work up to um, or something that may not be ready for you yet. But 
here's what you can work on instead. Here are some steps that you can take that can get you there. Um, here are some things that you can think about in the meantime, some different ways to challenge your own thinking about this whole process. I just try to ask good questions or probing questions, I guess. Um, and then, yeah, I, I want to hold that space for people that are feeling those feelings. And I've been there myself. Um, but I think that when we continue to support each other and give each other that space to allow those feelings to come out, we can also continue the conversation a little bit further and get into more of the like, okay, yes, it is true that you're feeling this way. And I want you to have that permission to feel that way. But I also want you to know that we can talk about different parts of this conversation in the meantime, while you're still feeling like crap. <laughs> yeah. Did you did you end up having to talk to a psychologist? Or do you feel like? I yeah, yeah, I I love therapy. I think it's amazing. I, um, I previous to dealing with this, I was bulimic for several years as a teenager and a young adult. And I credit therapy with being able to have a healthy mindset in every aspect, um, yeah. with my relationship with my husband and my son and myself. And I, I'm a firm believer in therapy. That's one of the big things that I recommend to any postpartum woman or pregnant woman. I think that if I had had a better gauge on, I was not at th in therapy at the time that I was pregnant or early postpartum, but I think that if I had had a better relationship with a therapist at that point, I may have been able to make different choices um, or and that may or may not have led to the same outcome. But um, and I think I would have been able to to see it more clearly. There were definitely times at the lowest points where I was not seeing clearly at all. And it was a really devastating and awful time. Um, but I, I'm such a firm believer in all dimensions of our health and, and not just seeing it as a physical issue because it's not. It affects so much of a woman and her partner and her friend's social circle and her relationship with her child and, and for years to come. And it's, it's really heartbreaking to me when we're not addressing the psychological aspect as well, because I do think it directly relates to their experience of physical symptoms. Yeah, it's huge. And I like what you just said, how, you know, if you didn't have the relationship that you did with a therapist beforehand that like can you imagine being at the lowest point and then going to see a new totally. therapist who you've never met before and then trying to I think that would be right. difficult so it's kind of like totally you know yeah everyone and I, should I'm see one. So, <laughs> totally see a therapist <laughs> but yeah I'm so Anytime. thankful for all of my you know mental health struggles previously because they really did set me up for resilience with this yeah. and I had tools that I hadn't known to access in this way, but that I had learned and that I could now use uh, that helped me strategize how I needed to approach dealing with prolapse from a psychological standpoint. And it also was really helpful that I was working with this demographic. Um, I think I really made an excellent choice when I decided after I had my son to exclusively focus on this demographic because I was able to tell people the truth. And I felt really comfortable talking about my own struggles with people. And it became a way that I could strengthen my empathy for others, but and connect with other people. And I think it made me a better coach. And it made me a better business person. And it made me so much more in tune with with all of the issues that that we all deal with in some way. 
Has it changed and, uh, your advice that you give to women or? Oh, totally. I think, I think more than anything, it's changed the way that I, that I work with people in the sense that I just feel like I, I am more supportive of, of people and where they are. And I really believe that, you know, the person I'm working with is the expert on their body and their brain and their unique circumstance. But what I can offer is education, some awareness, some tools in terms of fitness, and then just an ear for her when she's ready, if she's ready to talk about things. Um, And I've always been a really open book in that sense. But I think this has made me even more open. It's it's not every day that you hear people talking about their vagina, I think. <laughs> but Ooh, I beg to differ. <laughs> well, for you, yes. <laughs> but it's been it's been such a, a nice um almost experiment for me to see how how vulnerable I could get and how willing to connect with other people in that vulnerable space. Um and it's it's been really exhilarating to be honest. It's now if I talked about this two years ago, I would definitely not use these words. But being in the place where I am now, I see how much growth I've been able to have myself and how much growth I've been able to facilitate for other people um, that I really do see it as as an opportunity more than anything else. So can you so you mentioned some tools for exercise. So if we kind of go back towards the exercise point of things, what sort of things did you start to do when you said you started to feel like you could now move and you could now start to do exercise? What did you start with that made you go, okay, I'm comfortable starting with this? Um, good question. I you know, that time is very fuzzy to me, but I, I started with what I knew and I started from kind of where I had always started again. I mean, I was pretty deconditioned by this point and I started with basic things that I knew were really unlikely to cause issues like bridges and low level tasks like that, or things that I was doing in my daily life, picking up my son type of thing, kneel to stand kind of exercises um, that mirrored what I was already doing. And I just kept growing from there. I remember I eventually worked up to things like deadlifts, squats, lunging with more load. Um, yeah, I just started with really basic foundational movement patterns and then continued to progressively load them. I mean, I, it was using strategies that I'd learned from Anthony and from practitioners like Julie Weeb. Um, and it wasn't anything that I necessarily hadn't been doing before. It was just that I was doing it with a new frame of reference, I think. Um, And yeah, eventually I was able to add more complexity and add more load. And there are things that I still don't really feel comfortable doing um, or that I also discovered that I don't like doing. (laughs) Like I don't really like running, for instance, but I'd, you know, I think I would occasionally run prior to pregnancy as more of a mental clarity exercise. And I got to a point where I felt like I could work up to it and I didn't feel scared of it anymore. But I also just realized that I didn't actually like doing it. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) And so it was kind of a nice, like, this experience has forced me to figure out what I actually want to do and what I actually want to prioritize. 
Um, and, and motherhood does that too, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are still things that I don't like, I don't really feel comfortable doing like box jumps, for instance. I'm also not someone that loves jumping. So that works out well for me. Um, but I, I have been able to work up to things that I definitely didn't think I would be capable of doing. Like when I, I did RKC, the kettlebell certification twice, and you have to pass a snatch test, which is a hundred snatches with a 14 kilo bell in five minutes. And to hold on kettlebell, that's like one, is that like a one arm snatch? One arm snatch, hundred times, five minutes. Yeah. 14 kilos for my body weight. And it's notoriously difficult. Everyone hates that part of the certification. It's one element. And previously, I didn't think that that would be even remotely possible, but I did it twice. Um, And so there are things that you would never see that as a recommendation for a prolapse safe exercise on a website. But I've been able to make it safe for me which I think is the bigger issue. Is it safe for prolapse? I don't know. Who is prolapse? It's, it was safe for me. And, uh, and I started approaching exercise in that way, and I started approaching it that way with my clients. It's not that everyone is on a prolapse safe exercise plan. It's that they're on an exercise plan that addresses their needs and their goals. And then we factor in the fact that they are managing symptoms of pelvic organ prolapse. And what does that mean? Yeah. So what kind of things do you then advise people to do um, to prepare for different exercises. So if somebody is just come to you and they're eight weeks postpartum, they're worried, they're afraid, they have sensations of prolapse, they want to do things like lifting weights or kettlebells, um, and you start them off on some small exercises, do you discuss things like breathing or pelvic floor? Like what? what oh, definitely. Of- yeah. I mean, that person has definitely gone to a pelvic floor PT by this point. I am the like, they immediately go to one, I have great relationships with them in the city. Um, And so I would be in contact with their PT, and have some awareness of from a function strength perspective, what's going on internally, because I otherwise have no idea. Um, But yeah, we, we talk about breathing strategies, and we talk about positional strategies and figuring out ways that are working for them um, that are going to be context dependent. And we try and troubleshoot the areas that are they're finding challenging for them. I ask a lot of questions like, when are you having symptoms? Is it at the end of the day? It, does it matter? Um, what are some other things that you're doing? I try to address, um, you know, have you talked to a lot of people are coming in having issues with constipation or their issues with like respiratory conditions. And so I try to refer them out to someone who can handle those. Um, because that's another area where I feel like we hear a lot about all the exercise that you shouldn't do, but no one's talking about, you know, how this person's asthma is affecting their pelvic floor um, or their chronic GI distress. And so I try to help them see the full picture in a really holistic way that doesn't incite more fear, but gives them strategies to start to manage that with and for themselves. Um, But then, yeah, we talk about how their pressure system is involved and how we can best set that up for success in the context of both exercise and their life beyond exercise and trying to really connect that movement is everywhere. And I think people have a tendency to go to the gym and feel like, okay, now I'm in the gym. Now I need to think about what I'm doing. Now I need to have this set of strategies that I can go to. And then I'm going to go home and I'm going to pick up my 40 pound kid 
and hurl him onto the couch. And then I'm going to, there's a disconnect there. Hmm. And so I try to illuminate that movement is movement is movement. And wherever we're doing it, it matters. And we need to find ways that she can do that movement and feel fulfilled and feel not symptomatic or that her symptoms are being well managed. Um, and yeah, we, that's where we start. And then we go from there and I listen to people's goals and I don't tell them that their goals are ridiculous or that they're never going to get there. Um, but I'm honest about the process and that training takes time and any achievement of goals takes time. And there's so much healing going on in the initial year plus of postpartum that, you know, we're going to take our time and do it, um, do it right and have her feel, have a, her, her develop a better understanding of her body beyond just the fact that she's just had a baby. Because I think part of the issue is that we're so often disconnected from our physical experience and we see movement as a punishment or we see it as like, I'm just going to go to the gym and then I'm going to go home and do whatever I want. But I think that movement can be such a healing experience for people, especially if you're managing a chronic condition um, like prolapse. So have you gone back to have another assessment of your prolapse? I have, yeah. The most recent one I had was about... Mm, I want to say maybe nine months ago, maybe a year ago. Um, that was after I did RKC. Um, and I remember speaking with my PT recently, uh, and she was like, you know, you're an excellent candidate to not come in here frequently. Because <laughs> <laughs> I had asked her, like, what's your opinion on me coming back at, like, regular intervals? And she I think knowing my history of a obsession and be kind of being very focused in, I mean, I guess we could just say obsession. Um, she felt like I was a like good to go in many senses. She gave me some things to be aware of if I should ever feel, you know, significant changes or if I were to have a symptomatic period that didn't seem to be resolving, that would be a reason for me to go back. Um, but she, I, I don't go regularly at this point. So what's, um, wait, what's regularly to you? Regularly? I don't know. I don't know that, I mean, I haven't gone in a year, so I guess. That's what, uh, no, some people yeah. regularly is every two weeks or totally, every right. three yeah. months. No, I, was, I was discharged from PT. Yeah. Um, but I know that when I was in Australia, I overheard some, there was a conversation about people going every six months, regardless of what their situation was, which I thought was interesting. Like, I don't even go to the dentist that much, but <laughs> yeah, I should go um, to the dentist that much. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think I, again, it, it is person dependent. Um, yeah. and I feel like I'm in a really nice state of management yeah. and I'm also not, in a place for my physicality where I'm, I'm not a power lifter. I'm not trying to, I'm not adding anything that's drastically new or that I haven't had to manage yet. Um, so the, the circumstance hasn't come up yet where I've felt like I needed more tools. I feel like I've developed quite a few tools that are working really well for me. I very, very, very rarely have symptoms. But you're doing a lot of things that people from the beginning may have said that you should never do and you will never get yep. back to. Um, yep. But your symptoms are better. And do you, so do you know if the last time you had your prolapse looked at, had it changed, which is a really hard 
you know, subjective, okay. objective question, because the day yeah. that we assess someone's prolapse, yeah. 24 hours later, it can be better or worse. It like, changes all totally. the time. Yeah, it's interesting. Within a two week span, I had three people look at it one week, and I got three drastically different answers. Yeah. Um, from the last time that I went with the PT that I'd seen previous to that, my function had improved a little bit. Um, and I had never had poor function necessarily, but I had good function still. Um, but the grade hadn't changed. Um, and I didn't expect it to. Um, but yeah, and then I, I saw a urogynecologist around the same time I saw her because I had been hit by a car and I was having as a pedestrian and I was having symptoms, um, again, and I wanted a pessary just to kind of try it out. And I went to see her and she was like, well, if you'd come in here for an assessment, I wouldn't even have told you anything about your pelvic floor. And then I saw an OB for just an annual check-in and she was like, looks super normal. So I just got like very, what felt very, like very different responses within the same basic timeline, Um, which is, you know, that's something that's also tricky and comes up a lot on the pop group on Facebook is that people are so desperate for the, the one answer and like, what is my pelvic floor you know, and I think they latch on to that as a defining characteristic yeah. of themselves. Um, but I, I really try to encourage people to remember that they're not, they're not grade two prolapse. Yeah. They are, you know, whatever their name is and whatever they love and what speaks to them, not just their public floor. Um, yeah. So I, I, I always find it interesting that there is some so much difference. But I mean, I, when I was obsessively checking, I noticed that myself, it would be different hour by hour. Yeah. Um, but that's why um, I asked that, that question was you yeah. have your prolapse technically probably hasn't changed, but yeah. your life, your symptoms, your exercise, oh, your yeah. ability, you have done all of these things. Um, yep. and yes, it may be the position of, you know, whatever right. organ it was hasn't totally. changed, but you know, everything else has and your life has. And that's so good. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, having, I really hope that as pop becomes more, um, as people gain more awareness of prolapse, I do find that there's this trend towards people thinking that prolapse recovery is the, like a, a prolapse that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. And I don't think that that is realistic uh, and I don't think that we need to have that grade completely resolve for people to f- experience a much better quality of life. Um, and it's it's tricky to kind of navigate that. But that's something I'm seeing more recently um, is that a lot of people are comparing themselves to people that are saying that their grade two prolapse is now non-existent. They have no evidence of prolapse at all. And the people like me who still have tissue that are, you know, organs that have descended, um, are wondering why they don't have that experience. And I think they're comparing themselves to people who, you know, have a different situation and it's really tricky. But again, it can also just be that 
whenever they had that prolapse assessed, it may have been a day that it was a little bit receded. And this is just like we had talked about kind of on the the Facebook group that, you know, within the physio world, but also the medical professionals, the amount of movement that organs have, we don't actually know what a normal amount is. We know what, um, we know at a certain point when the organs start to descend towards the opening of the vagina that most people will start to have symptoms at this point and that that's probably an abnormal kind of cutoff but anywhere before that people can have a little bit of movement and someone in the literature or a medical professional will say it's prolapse whereas other people consider it just a normal amount of movement so it it does get which then (laughs) creates a lot of confusion I think um when people are hearing things and oh yeah totally and I think there's so much of I just want to know if I'm normal or not and we've had discussions in this in the pop group about creating some kind of visual library for people to see people that are similar to themselves you go on google image search by the way don't do that and you search prolapse and you get the most significant cases generally, and you don't see the grade one, the grade twos. Um, And so women that are trying to identify their own anatomy are so lost and they're asking questions that, you know, I'm such a believer now that we, we should have had better education so many years ago where I had an idea of what a normal vulva and vagina looked like. But so many people have no idea what their genitalia should, you know, or should not look and how it should look. And so it's so hard for them. And I think they're so confused about what they're seeing. And most people didn't have an assessment prior to pregnancy um, or had really an acute awareness of what their vagina did. And now they're so focused on it, but they're trying to fit what it is that they're seeing with what, you know, they should be seeing. And it's, it's really unfortunate. So your message is for everyone to have a look and have a feel, which I promote as well. Before babies, before... Oh yeah, just get, get really, yeah, I think there's so much value in being aware of what your body is and does and how it looks and how it feels and not just for prolapse and pelvic health, but just anything to be able to note like hey, that, that seems a little different. I'm going to look further into that. But um, also know that just, sometimes after having a baby, things do change. It's oh, not totally. abnormal. It's just oh, that right. things have changed and now you have a new right. vulva. Totally. And I don't know how we would ever expect that it would not be that way. Like, <laughs> it seems, if you've ever been pregnant, like there's a lot of stuff going on. It yeah. seems like, you know, I... I think a, a lot of this boils down to a lack of women's health education in general, a lack of care for postpartum women and women during pregnancy who we just don't talk about things and we hide them and feel embarrassed and ashamed by them and feel like, you know, everyone starts the conversation with, I know this is TMI, but um, but I don't think it has to be too much information. I think it's that we've been given too little information and we need have that having that awareness can help so many aspects of our life and being able to accept what is is such a powerful thing that we can do for ourselves and I think that starts with awareness yeah um I love your Instagram account what what is it what's the tag what's the name of your uh, Instagram at, account again it's just my name it's at Haley Shevener 
Um, Because you put on so many little videos of you doing all sorts of movement. And I love what you said. And I completely agree that, you know, the way that you move and the things that you do, you have to love it and want to do it. Um, So not saying that all the movements on there that people need to try to strive towards but totally don't <laughs> just the different the different patterns and the different things that you try and the messages that you say you know sometimes you'll put a video up and you're like this is just what I felt like I needed today <laughs> yeah totally I, I love yeah. it thank you I think movement is an extension of our creativity and I think that the fitness world sometimes removes that from people and we prescribe like okay, 10, three sets of 10 lunges and then do some pull-ups. And, but we have so much expression through movement and we have so much ability to connect with ourselves and with others. And, and that was something that I was so afraid of when I was diagnosed that I was going to have to adhere to this rigid system of rules and I would never be able to express myself through my body anymore. And so being able to get back to that has really been the the bonus and and my what I would consider my greatest achievement from a physical standpoint um, and and also simultaneously realizing that I'm not my body and I'm not my performance and that those things are expectations that I don't necessarily need to adhere to even though we're constantly given that message um, and so that's been really powerful as well. I know that at some point I will lose the ability to do the things that I'm currently doing. And so I'm really enjoying them while I can. Oh, that's and- beautiful. I wish that I had your artistic creativity and ability. I'm the type of person that I do need someone giving me some sort of routine to do because <laughs> right. I, I do not feel it in my body as to what totally. uh, I can't make things up. I just need someone to you, tell you me what can. to do. You totally can. You need to let go of the idea that it has to look a certain way. You totally can, Lori. That's a challenge. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, you know what I'll do is I'll just go onto your Instagram account and copy something. No, that's not it. <laughs> I don't know. Um, all that is, thank you so much for telling us your story. Again, I feel like I have so many patients that will benefit just from hearing, you know, not, it's not a, it's a success story, but it's, it's just that you were able to get over that hump of it taking over your life and that you have been able to, like we said before, do what you love and what you want to do without the expectation of the, extra mobility totally resolving and going away but totally keeping that in mind but still being able to do everything else yeah I like to call it an acceptance story because I think it's ongoing and it's I may not succeed ultimately I always feel like maybe next week I'll have some you know catastrophic event happen but I'm working on acceptance and that's something that I can work on regardless of the state of my body yeah Oh, thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. This was great. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Pelvic Health Pelvic Health Podcast. I'm Ileana. I'm Ileana. And I'm not your host. And I'm not your host, sir.